Hidden beyond the human eye exists the unseen, a realm of spiritual forces squaring off in the supernatural, forces of cosmic power and proportion. And while the world spins, suspecting nothing, the enemy is on the move. His schemes finding footing in the familiar, his traps set in everyday episodes. So be prepared and ready to leave it all on the line. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all the forces of evil and darkness. And they won't go down without a fight. Welcome everybody to the weekend. I am so thankful that you are praying for me because last weekend I was ill and could not be live at our Eden Prairie campus. I found out that I needed to switch my antibiotic. Uh, I was treating an infection and it worked. My fever broke within a day or two and I'm just trying to get rid of this nagging headache and I look forward to being back. I am so glad, however, that I get to introduce you to my new friend and our friendship is growing. That is Bishop Richard Howell and his wife, Pastor Betty Howell. He and they pastor together a very important church in the Twin Cities, and that is Shiloh Temple International Ministries. Pastor Howell has a broad uh, amount of experience. He is an undergraduate at the North Central University in Christian ministry, and he's a graduate of St. Thomas College in St. Paul, where he earned a degree in counseling and psychology. So uh, you're going to be listening to somebody that really knows where they're coming from, He's going to pick up this whole theme of spiritual warfare. He's going to address, in particular, its effect on us emotionally. And, of course, he'll address some of the issues that you might expect. He and I are working together to try to understand how one sets an example in heal and healing between the white and the black church. There's so much we have to learn. I have to learn. And he's becoming as much a mentor as a friend. And I'm so looking forward to building a bridge between not only the two of us, but also between our leadership teams and between our congregation. We'll tell you more about those plans in the near future. In the meantime, whether you're online or whether you're at one of our campuses, would you give a great round of applause and welcome to Bishop Richard Howell. Please allow me to muse over a few minutes of this time before I preach. I love and appreciate Pastor Dale and this Wooddale Church congregation. This is a very meaningful moment for me to have been asked to preach for this morning. It is most unusual for this urban preacher to preach on a pulpit located in the suburbs, which is not the normal protocol on a given Sunday morning. Yet, the love of Christ breaks and disrupts any distinction of class and race, status and creed, gender and polity, because his blood reminds us all that his love transcends all. Pastor Dale has demonstrated an inextricable power to love me for who I am, without excuse and without apology. And for this I say, I love this man. He is my friend and a brother from another mother, but from the same blood of Jesus Christ. Our topic today is the radical love against spiritual warfare. Our text is taken from the book of Ephesians chapter six, and verse number 12, the authorized version. And it reads, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It was the onus of the Holy Spirit to charge the writer Paul, who, by the way, was in prison, but not bound from the charge to write the plain truth of salvation in Christ and the price which is paid to follow Christ. When you exegete this letter to the Ephesians, you will notice just how wonderful God is to all believers who have become and are his disciples. Clearly, this letter to the Ephesians identified and reminded these disciples in Ephesus that they are no longer what they were. They are not the same person they once were since salvation came into their lives. They have a new identity in Christ, an identity that wipes out any jurisdiction of class and race, creed and origin, bond and free. I am reading this book by Isabel Wilkerson, who authored another book entitled The Warmth of Other Sons. And in her book, Cast, I read how even America is divided in a subtle caste system. In her book, she described that at the moment of birth, the color of skin determined which level each person is placed in the caste system. The lighter the skin, on top. The darker the skin, towards the bottom. And in her book, she called it the DNA of America. The caste system is the DNA behind American economics, social justice, health, education, employment, and housing. As she noted, there is a way of understanding our American hierarchy. The top caste is noted as the dominant caste known as the ruling majority, also known as the favored caste or upper caste in addition to white caste. The middle caste are in addition to Asian and Latino. The subordinate caste or the lowest caste or the bottom caste, the disfavored caste, historically stigmatized our African American. And the original, conquered, or indigenous peoples instead of or in addition to are the Native Americans, marginalized people in addition to or instead of are women of any race or minorities of any kind, unquote. Hate is warfare. Bigotry is warfare. Discrimination is warfare. But Paul makes it very clear to the Ephesians that hate may have been the old nature before Christ, but love is the new nature since Christ. The blood of Christ clearly absolved any caste system. The walls of the temple upon our Lord's death came crashing down on sin, all sin, to raise up a redeemed system of sinners saved by grace, equally holy and free. Paul writes, there were once dead in sins. There were once products of the world. There were once servants of the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan. And thus were engaged in a godless showing of love, lies which destroyed the consciousness of God in any person. They were dead in sin. You were dead in sin. I was dead in sin. Sin was my master. Sin was my boss. Sin controlled me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. 
very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. It was love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Since salvation, since the love of Christ came all over us, since the bondage of sin was no longer our masters, then we are no longer who we are, but we are who we are in Jesus Christ. The proof of the New Testament compared to the Old Testament was a better covenant to live above a deadbeat life, a dragged out life, a low life, and no good life. For the proof of it showed into the lives of the Ephesians, shows into the lives of believers that we have been quickened after we were once dead in trespasses. Yes, that was what we were, but we are not that now. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. We were in the deepest mess. We were in the deepest muck. We were in the deepest clay. We were in the deepest pit, but God. Anyone here have a but God testimony? I was messed up, but God. I was suicidal, but God. I was a mess, but God. I was a you-know-what, but God. Here is what Paul wrote, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. The church is not identified by the world. The church is not identified by the flesh. The church is not identified by Satan. The church is identified in and by Jesus Christ. There is no repeal in a Jesus Christ identity. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no bond or free. There is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no caste system. There is no division. There is no political partisanship, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. One can put it like this, one can love the elephant, one can love the donkey, but we love the lamb. The lamb of God, which took away the sin of the world. We have the greatest love. We have the greatest opportunity to love justice, and we have the greatest to love God. There is in this real time today, as Paul warned the Ephesians to redeem the time for the days are evil. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Our greatest love then is being attacked by the evil Paul discussed to the Ephesians. Listen everybody, love is not a dirty word. In fact, it's a good word. I love my wife, I love my church, I love Pastor Dale, I love Wooddale Baptist Church. I love the Minnesota Vikings, I think. I love life. I love salads. I love key lime pie. Now, doesn't that sound nice? Now, watch this. I love others. 
I love justice. I love God. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, gives a deep perspective on the power of evil against the power of love. There is this moment of identifying the systemic forces of evil and its propagation against love. God is love. He saved us with love. He redeemed us with love. He is the Lord with love. We love him because he loves us. But evil is disassociated with love. The best definition of evil is very simple. Hate whatever we love. Hate whatever is God's love. That is the definition of evil. I love people, then hate people. I love justice, then hate justice. Listen how evil talks. I love God, and evil says, then hate God. This hate is evil, and ladies and gentlemen, hate is a spiritual warfare. Anything God loves is hated by evil. Paul then asserts this deep perspective, which is the foundation of hate and evil. Paul wrote, with all the love God has given us, there is a warfare against you to strip, confiscate, deprive, rob, and divest your love for others, for justice, and for God. And this is how he put it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an evil of hate systemically produced by demonic forces. And this theocracy stated by Paul is a careful and constructed organization of workers who are sent to all parts of the world seeking to destroy everything that God lost. These workers produce systems of hate covering and impacting total spectrums of humanity across time and place. Wherever God is, there is a system to hate God. Whatever is of God, there is a system to hate that. Whoever God loves, there is a system to hate it. If it is a policy of God, then they hate the policy. If it is a scripture, then they hate the scripture. If it is a person, then they hate the person. If it is a church, then they hate the church. If it is salvation, then they hate salvation. It, if it is of God, believe it, there is a system already organized to hate it and shut it down. There are two points on radical loving against spiritual warfare. The first point is love itself, and the second point is the love of justice. The first point, to radical move and love against spiritual warfare is love itself. In his book, The Dark Agenda, David Horowitz, an agnostic by his own admission, wrote that Karl Marx famously described religion as the opium of the people and the sigh of the oppressed. Inspired by his hatred ever since, revolutionaries have regarded religion as the enemy of progress and the mask of oppression. In Russia, Marx's disciples removed religious teaching from the schools, outlaw criticism of atheists and agnostics, and burn 100,000 churches. When priests demanded freedom of religion, they were sentenced to death 
between 1970 and 1935, 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were arrested, of which 95,000 were executed by a firing squad, unquote. Bringing it home today, the global view of believers in Christ has transitioned and propagandizing the message that any belief in Christ must die in order for mankind to live. One well-known commentator and comedian on HBO openly declared on his show that the irony of religion is that because of its power to divert man to destructive courses, the world could actually come to an end. Christianity is viewed as a destruction of the human race as a result of religion-inspired terrorism. Hence, if mankind is to live, Christianity must die. There is a great view by this grave opinion which is spreading like wildfire all over the world, especially in the Western civilization to discredit the Christian movement and all religious beliefs by demeaning all Christians as simpletons and illegitimate. This drawing painted by systemic forces is making believers looking foolish and naive, and is spreading like wildfire all over the land. It was not enough to take prayer out of the school. It was not enough to forbid the reading of scriptures in the public schools. But now even our laws systemically have adored, ordained abortions, the killing of humans in the womb. The killing and murders of babies have given rise to the murder of many. And ever since 1977, after Roe versus Wade, murder and hate have escalated to unbelievable proportions. Dismissing prayer, dismissing the word of God, dismissing church teaching, dismissing the Christian voice has developed into a hate-filled, murder-like spirit in this world because the love is gone. What does love have to do with it? As Sister Turner said, nothing. There is no love but hate. Murder comes from hate. Hate comes from evil. Evil comes from these systemic forces. It is demonic. Look at the suicidal rate alarming our young people today. In his book, Dr. Antipas Harris wrote, young black children, I'm quoting, are committing suicide at record rates. It is bad enough that among the youth, suicide is the second leading cause of death between the ages of 12 and 18 years old. The same study shows the rate of suicide attempts for black youth shot up to an alarming 73% from 1991 to 2017. Black boys also had a significant increase in the injuries received from the attempts, which suggests that they are engaging in more lethal methods. Another study reveals that between 2001 and 20, oh, 2017, the rate of suicide deaths among black girls shot up to an astounding 182%. People hate others. People hate themselves. People just plain hate. Why is there so much hate in this world today? Because there is no love. People rather take a life than to love a life. And here it is. 
This is warfare, and for us, as it was through the Ephesians, it was love which lifted us up from hate. It was the love of God which took out the venom against humanity, took out the malice from our hearts, took the unforgiveness from us, so as he loves us, so we can love one another. We rather love than hate. We choose to love against the warfare of hatred so we can show the world that love is the fulfillment of the law. It was Paul who wrote, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my good to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Yes, there is a warfare to hate like others hate. But as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The Ephesians were told to wrestle, but not against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against the demonic forces of hate to tear down relationships in the church and across the church, bashing ministries, criticizing others in the faith, brutalizing colors of churches, go in and kill believers during a Bible class and a church service. Yes, this is a spiritual warfare, but on Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We will radically love against hate and stand together in love. The second and final point is the love of justice. There is so much injustice in the world and how it hurts so many communities today is astounding. Dr. King also said, the moral arc of the universe bends is long, but it bends towards justice. It is believed that the Christian voice has betrayed the love of God and has taken measures to perpetuate oppression. This feeling brews in the wake as many have expressed love of others, but their actions betray their words. It is believed today that many millennials are turned off by the church because the church has abused justice by celebrating the rich and demeaning the poor. In his book, Dr. Harris raised the question, how can we expect this generation to be convinced that Christianity is about love, compassion, grace, justice, and mercy when Christian voices and institutions are either silent or uncritically supportive of systems and structures that perpetuate pain, propagate hate, proliferate exclusion, and produce death. People are hungry for a faith that shows love and concern about injustice. The time has come that we return to a faith that listens to the broken world and responds with the love of Jesus. Importantly, love is not merely a hug, a pat on the back, or an invitation to the church. The love of Jesus is radical and confronts evil systems and structures of oppression. Recently, what happened to George Floyd was a disgrace to justice. It reminds us that the pains of the past systemically worked its way through 
in the perpetuation of bigotry and oppression. In the name of justice, they say, leaving communities of color fearful of blue uniforms and badges. It's because of fear now has stripped human rights, leaving many vulnerable to social injustices, many suffering today from low self-esteem and low self-worth, feeling invisible and unprotected that there is no other thing to do but to defend the little honor one holds of himself. Injustice has produced the dishonorable since fear is the culprit in making behaviors do the crazy stuff such as sex trafficking and prostitution, drug trade and drug trafficking, and an escalation of poor mental health. Why? Because racism is the culprit which has produced strange behaviors just to make money. The fear of racism is the injustice to any person which then transcends to an unfriendly community. The text speaks of a woman caught in adultery whom the Pharisees brought to Jesus. Their nerve to test the Savior and to see how he would adjudicate the matter was up for grab. Would he allow stones to be thrown at her or would he defend her? The Pharisees knew that the woman committed the crime and warranted public execution according to the law, but they brought the woman to Jesus to see what he would do. But Jesus knew their trick and their bigotry towards women. Jesus knew that they didn't care. They didn't care for the woman at all, but they were so full of custom, so full of tradition, so full of law, that they didn't care for justice. So full of rules like Jim Crow, like segregation, like discrimination, like subtle and institutional racism, that they did not regard justice. They threw the woman in front of Jesus and demanded an answer. Jesus did not immediately respond, but the Bible says he wrote on the ground. Someone said he was writing her name in the land's book of life. But then he answered and said, he that is without sin cast the first stone. None of them could cast that first stone because they were all guilty. For really, if they really cared about justice, they would have brought out the adulterous man along with the adulterous woman. But they only brought her out because they were prejudiced and bigotry against this woman. Jesus asked her, where were her accusers? She said, I have none. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Injustice is demonic. Practices against the underserved and unprivileged is demonic. Calling good evil and evil good is demonic. This is what the warfare is. It's attacking the church. It's attacking the communities. It's attacking the preachers. It's attacking the choir. It's attacking officers of the church. But we must realize that this is warfare to tear down the church, to tear down our people, to tear down justice. But believers know better than this. We know that the weapons that are formed against injustice cannot prosper against justice. Yes, warfare will continue, but believers love justice, the justice from God that frees all so that the powerful must relinquish power to the less powerful so that everyone has an equal playing field. 
straightening out crookedness and making plain rough places by correcting corrupt systems. The Bible says the just shall live by faith and the just love justice against injustice. So in conclusion, this is spiritual warfare inextricably wrapped in hate and injustice. But in the same message, we know that in God, we are victors for love and justice. Why? Because of the cross that Jesus carried, he carried it for love. He carried it for justice. All the hate and injustice was nailed to the cross. So really, warfare against us cannot stand. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? There is a cross for everyone. There is a cross for me. In my closing, during the Civil Rights Movement, as many people marching for justice, marched for peace, one old gal said, they asked her how she was feeling. She said, my soul is rested, but my feet is tired. To see what warfare did in the South and what warfare suddenly did in the North, what warfare has done in the church of the living God. But there's an old Negro spiritual that was sang and sung during the civil rights era. And it went like this. We shall overcome one day. We shall overcome one day. We shall overcome one day. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome one day. We are not afraid no more. We are not afraid no more. We are not afraid no more. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we are not afraid anymore. Everything is going to be all right one day. Everything is going to be all right one day. Everything is going to be all right one day. Deep in my heart, I do believe everything is going to be all right one day. We are radical lovers against warfare. We love love and we love justice. And may God bless each and every one of you in Jesus' name.